Hey everyone, this is a bonus episode of the Drunken Boxing Podcast. It's the audio from an interview conducted with me, so this is slightly different from our usual podcast format. In 2017, I was invited as a guest and lecturer at the European Wushu Federation's 4th European Continental Kung Fu Championships, which was held in Tbilisi, Georgia. And while I was there, the president of both the European Wushu Federation and the International Wushu Federation interviewed me, and we discussed various aspects related to Chinese traditional martial arts. It's not a particularly long episode, yet I think there is some valuable insight that came out through this discussion regarding these arts. I have included the link to the video interview in the in the show notes. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy the short and sober bonus episode of the Drunken Boxing Podcast. So we are live on YouTube on European Wushu Federation channel. And today our guest is Byron Jacobs, who lives in Beijing and trains in traditional Wushu. But... Ironically enough, at the same time, he is involved in the modern Wushu, uh, in Wushu as a sport, as a competition sport. There is a lot of... But, ironically enough, at the same time, he is involved in the modern Wushu, uh, in Wushu as a sport, as a competition sport. There is a lot of talking today about whether Wushu is a real martial art. You are well, you know, multifaceted man, and you know both sides of the question. You train in traditional and you are a manager of events in modern sport Wushu during the international competitions. What do you think about this? Well, there's an interesting question with uh, which part of Wushu are we talking about? Because we have multiple aspects of Wushu. You have the hobby or traditional uh, element of Wushu, which has not really a goal to compete or to involve in sport. And then you have Wushu sport, which is a movement to try and take the traditional practices of Wushu and create a sport with it. Um, of course, sport has its own goals, it's got its own definitions, it's got its own methods, which are not always going to fit in line with all the ideas and principles and methods of tradition. Sport is not tradition, but at the same time, tradition isn't sport. So this is a an interesting dichotomy that uh, the movement for sport has uh, has to address. And this is why the creation and the events of wushu at a competition or as a sport have to be constantly evolving, in order to introduce something, evaluate it, and then improve it. Um, it's not going to be a dead process. And, and this is where I think the International Wushu Federation and Wushu movement in a sports sense has gone for the last 20 or 30 years. And it's a constantly evolving uh, process. When we talk about traditional Wushu, whether it's a martial art or not, well, yes, but it's also a, a practice that was handed down from when it was created generation by generation with different elements of its uh, content and it carries forward a timestamp of different periods in time and the society and the structure and uh, the laws of that time. So, um, in traditional wushu, for example, we have uh, barehanded practice, we have weapon practice, we have certain practice which works on internal or mental elements. When I say internal, I don't mean uh, magic, which is what a lot of people mistakenly understand internal with, but mental and psychological aspects. There are also cultural aspects that are handed down and I think this is the beauty of, of traditional wushu which attracts people to it. 
Um, so yes, I think they are both uh, interesting uh, elements trying to point at the same thing and whether it's a martial art or not, well it is and it, it really depends on how a person practices though and this is, um, this is where people define the art, not the art defining the people. So what is a traditional wushu today during this time? Well, you raise a good point because yes, at different times it was it took different forms, and we can take sumo as a good example of this because in the Han Dynasty, sumo was uh, very similar to to how it was in that period and closer to what we see in in the Japanese uh, presentation of sumo. It was called shangpu at that time, and shangpu is. Uh, at that time, it was a Chinese item, by the way, Chinese uh, Chinese practice, and it also evolved further into what became Shui Jiao, etc. So we can say, if we want to say, the more traditional version of Shui Jiao is Xiang Pu, but that's not really accurate too, because Shui Jiao is also its own traditional practice. Yes. What is the criteria to call it traditional? In fact, because let's, for example, take the Taiji uh, Chuan. The art of Taiji Chuan started in Chenziago village and this, there are actually two authentic styles. I mean, we can call uh, them authentic because they were the first to appear. It was Jiaobao Taiji and uh, Chenziago Taiji. But then an evolution was rather huge and the difference between what we see now in Yan style, Sun style, Wu style, now we have got some Mudan style Taiji Chuan. So uh, how, how actually to, to, to say whether it's a traditional one or not? If we want to take a, a good measure of a way to generally identify traditional wushu today, we can use a few criteria. The first one would be to say that it's got a clearly defined lineage. So you can say who your teacher is, you clearly know who his teacher is and his teacher, etc. For how many generations? I would say at least three would, would, would be a good way to say that something is rather closer linked to the tradition that it identifies with or not. So, so the tradition is about 150 years? Around, I would say around, at least, at least. Uh, the second thing would be that it's got a clearly recorded uh, technical, for example, trampo, which we call old uh, canons or manuals or written theoretical content that's handed down from generation to generation, which defines the practice, uh, the principles, the methods, the ideologies of the style. Um, of course, then the, the third element would be that it's got a clearly defined characteristic in its own style. Now, a lot of people might say yes, but then you could say we're talking about effectiveness. So why shouldn't effectiveness be the way to consider where something is traditional or not? Effectiveness is one element, but we're talking about tradition. And if we don't have what I've just said, these uh, few aspects, how do we know if somebody hasn't learned another style and simply just named it another style? For example, he learned a bit of uh, uh, Wing Chun, added a few techniques without any any lineage that he's going to claim without any theoretical content but he calls it some other traditional style and invents a history. What about the Yan style of Taizhi Xuan then? Because all the you know main principles of the Chen style including the the cores and nucleus of Chen Shi, the use of Chan Sizir, is not found in, in, in the Yan style. In general, in most Yang styles for sure, but I think this is what Yang Luchan, he learned Chen style uh, and he moved to Beijing and uh, he wasn't teaching uh, your average farmer or your average uh, uh, 
laborer. He was teaching the upper class people. Uh, Chen style Tai Chi is characterized by low postures, which is hard work on the le- on the legs, on the physical uh, aspect of of training, and issuing of hard force, which again is strenuous. It's difficult, and uh, I think he adapted it to to the people he was teaching. Uh, in general, higher class people, rich people, they weren't used to being uh, physically intensive laborers. So the practice evolved so they could uh, fit this practice more easily into their lifestyle and their mentality. So of course, a lot of the hard elements had to be cut out. So, but it's still Taiji Chuan, according to you. Well, the name Taiji Chuan we also need to take a look at because when was this name actually uh, included or used as the the name for the style? Because it wasn't originally called Taiji Chuan by the Chen people. So um, yes, this is again what happened through the evolution and the society that he was teaching. They were literati, they were people that were educated, so he wanted to possibly include some elements of uh, traditional Chinese theory. Maybe it happened before too, but people need to understand that the practice was there first before there was theory. Not the other way around. People pay too much attention to the yin and yang and the yi ching, but it doesn't mean anything without the techniques. It's just a way to describe and formulate a structure for the techniques which is closer uh, to the society's way of thinking, which was traditionally Chinese uh, Taoist principles. Um, If we had included, uh, for example, Hindu theory into Taiji Chuan, I'm sure you could find corresponding theories that would fit very much in the techniques to describe in similar ways the Chinese uh, uh, Taoist uh, philosophy for it. But it has no relation to the people that it was being taught to. So this is a very important part of uh, why the theoretical content looks the way it does. In fact, the yin and yang theory you could apply to any sport. You could apply to basketball. It's about the theory of opposites, the theory of conversion from one extreme to the other and how they work together and interchange. It's not a uh, metaphysical, uh, magical, uh, religious theory. It's just a way to explain a theory which exists in physics. In, in, in fact, Levi-Strauss used to call this binary oppositions in yin, and this is, is in every single part of our life because it's a general law of the nature. But uh, getting back to Taiji Xuan and namely to the yin style of Taiji Xuan, if we have a look at the second routine of the Chen, Chen Shi Taiji Xuan, Pao uh, Chui, you can it's it's uh, absolutely clear it has got a martial application because of this you know use of the force and the application of the force of the movement those are real strikes and punches what about yang you never see it okay we can see yang style is, exists today and many people practice it maybe 40 millions of people are practicing yang shi tai well under simplified form or long form today but is it still a martial art I would say if you strip away the combat applications of any art, um, if you don't... Are there any in the Yan style? Well, there are certain lineages that I've seen that hand down a fast form. And uh, if they are handing down the fast form and uh, practicing it with the correct mental principles and the correct applications, then I, I would say it could be used as a martial art. But they are, in general, not handed down in this way. So if you strip this away, then you probably won't be able to apply the art correctly or effectively. So no, I would say without these uh, aspects of combat training which are included in complete systems, uh, fast, partner and up to free applications of techniques you won't be able to use them uh, if we continue to stick to this uh, you know uh, topic of Taiji Chuan what was the use 
making a mixed uh, martial art, in fact, in the past. I'm talking about the style created by Sun Fu Chuan, who did mix Xin Yi with Tai Chi, producing what is called today Ho Bu Jia or Sun Shi Tai Chi Chuan, or Xin Yi Tai Chi Chuan as well. I think Sun Lutang at the time, again, we need to take a look at the time, that the time period that he did this creation. And uh, suddenly Taiji was the hot topic in Beijing. Uh, it was becoming popular, it was becoming well known, and it was uh, something that I think influenced him to look into it and possibly lead his development of this uh, Sun style Taiji because Taiji was so popular. If Taiji was as popular as it is and other styles, for example, Xingyi and Bagua uh, were not so well known or not so hot at the time, um, I think it could influence somebody to say, well, I'm going to create some, I'm going to practice some Taiji, study some and create something that can also be presented to these people for popularity as well. I mean, we need to know that, that Sun Lutang practiced 20 years of Xingyi. He practiced uh, many years of Bagua, but he didn't study uh, a long time of uh, Taiji Chuan before he started to combine these and create uh, what he created. So this is something important for people to, to realize. And another thing is that if we look at a lot of Sun Lutang's writings, he was a very, very uh, highly learned man uh, on traditional concepts, on traditional philosophies. And I also think this affected him at that time in his life because I th it was possibly a, a, an aspect that he was heavily focused on at that time of his life, and that would be Taoist uh, or Taoist principles, philosophies, and uh, and this led him to synthesize these ideas at that time to create something that Taiji. I do not think he created it. Uh, with the intention of creating a new martial system that would be uh, to rival other martial arts in their skills, but to develop a type of Taiji with a heavy philosophical content. Yes, it was quite a philosophy on its own. In, 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 uh, precisely in his last book, Chuan Yi Shuzhen, the, the general treatise of the martial arts. Uh, getting back to Taiji again, <laughs> sorry, this is my most liked topic. Uh, we see, and you mentioned it in uh, talking about Chen Shi Taiji Xuan, that uh, low postures are often used. You are doing MMA. Why do people of, uh, let's say, traditional Wushu train those low positions which are not applicable to any real fight? Well, that's an interesting question because Chinese martial arts has a basic principle that you practice low and apply high. You practice big and apply small. The theory is that um, the low postures while training will help you to have a greater muscular strength. So you're developing muscular strength while you are practicing to a greater degree than what you would use that muscular strength in application. But the flip side of the coin is that you have to still learn how to apply it and practice with the application in order to be able to use it. Because the application of the art won't necessarily look like the practice of the individual routines or the individual techniques. It looks differently. Chinese martial arts and, and the, the practice of Kung Fu is exactly that. It's a method to develop skill. When you fight, you don't apply the, the practice methods, you apply the skill you have developed. And the skill takes on a multitude of forms, depending on the situation, depending on the vessel it's put into, the person. So uh, one person developing P-Tren skill might look different to another person developing P-Tren skill. And his application might look slightly different, depending on his uh, experience and physical conditioning. But the method to develop the skill is very important. I like to liken it to Kung Fu is like uh, a hammer. Mm -hmm. A teacher 
gives you the tool and he teaches you the method to swing the hammer to create something. But some people might make a chair, another person might make a table. The goal is not the hammer and to swing it. The goal is to make something with it. And the practice of Kung Fu is to develop Kung Fu skill. This is the key point that a lot of people miss. They try to stick onto their style and follow it religiously almost without understanding the purpose of the style and the techniques is to develop skill. Not many people develop skill. You had a, a really interesting theory because there is a lot of fuss about uh, where, uh, where the Taolu and the Sakata in Japanese scene created in the past. What is the purpose of actually of the Taolu and Kata? Was it a tool for learning actual fighting or is just you know an historical dance or it's a training tool? But uh, you said that there was another uh, possibly uh, key to understand why this came into being because many martial arts in, in Muay Thai for example they don't have this it cannot compare Ram Muay to, to the Taolu in Chinese so what was the goal of the masters when they started creating the Kata in Taolu? Well the first thing we need to take a look at is the first generations of these masters and they've relatively had fewer Kata or Taolu. As the, the lineage gets longer and uh, as we get closer into modern age we see that styles include a lot more uh, routines or, or Taolu. Taolu um, was initially a method of learning how to link together individual techniques. So your brain develops the coordination and the understanding of how to harmoniously and e easily connect and vary and use variations of techniques in a fluid manner it also the initial imprint of these uh, traditional taolu had a combat uh, strategy that was included in them there was a logical composition of the connection of traditional routines which made sense through uh, what could or should happen in a conflict situation. If A does this and B counters with this, then A does this and B might counter with this, so A does this. This was the original way that a lot of uh, routines were put together, and they were very rudimentary in many, in many instances. Um, but the purpose was to be able to create a habit of one, two, three, like a boxer does combination practice. So it's, 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 um, if, if you look at boxing in that sense, you think, Actually, those are short taolu that they're doing. They're doing combinations. Uh, when they are doing combinations, it's a set, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a set way. They, they do certain combinations, which they will then apply in combat. So the original idea was in this line. But there is also an issue that traditional martial arts are not only practiced purely for their combat uh, development. They are also practiced because people enjoy them. And uh, Taolu routines give some uh, exciting uh, content to keep people interested through their practice, to keep their brains uh, uh, entertained in a certain way. Uh, although that shouldn't be the, the key point, that should just be a byproduct of it. So, uh, What about this famous Shengun and um, you know, the place that all those stories about magic power of the masters of Tai Chi. So my personal experience first of all is that I've never had anybody that was able to demonstrate such claimed abilities on me um, and I've met a few of them that could do it to their students and the second important point to realize is that a lot of these uh, mystical and magical theories are quite modern. 
they if you look at Trenpu or old manuals or if you look at historical records they never really talk about magical abilities they talk about high levels of skill and they do exaggerate them at times for example he hit this person and he went flying 20 meters this is obviously an exaggeration but it wasn't about magic it was still a strike so uh, the older accounts of ability were just high level ability what we see in today's day and age is the mystical and we see a lot more of the magic that's being portrayed no touch knockouts uh, long distance manipulation of the student etc and we need to understand why this is happening in today's age and I personally believe it's because they've been disconnected from actual combat situations the more you get into a through training even if it's through sparring regular sparring with uh, classmates etc the more honest it keeps you because there's no space for magic and uh, you know uh, illusions in in about your ability because either it works when you're doing it or it doesn't work either you have the skill to be able to to defend yourself and apply your art or you're getting smacked in the face quite often by your classmates and you it keeps you honest and I find that quite interesting when I look at your average judoka who can practice his whole life but he is by no means uh, arrogant to the point that he thinks he's got some magical ability and will go out and say oh we judokas can beat professional fighters they keep, the they, keep they keep very grounded and I think it's because they do randori so often uh, when you're being beaten or being tested on a daily basis it has a way of of uh, keeping you uh, grounded and honest Cool. There, there is a lot of uh, back talking now about this famous match between the MMA guy from China, Xu, Xu Xiaodong, yes. and uh, the other one, Lei Lei. Uh, my question is not about the fight because I, I, it was not a funny thing to do, first of all. It's a, it's a nonsense. But my question is about MMA. They used to call it mixed martial arts. And they say this is a modern art and we have no more use of uh, old arts like Wushu, Taiji Chuan, Hanlan Chuan. This is outdated and should be discarded. Just go and learn MMA if you want to learn to fight. My personal point of view was if you want to mix some something, you have to have the ingredients. Well, yes, I agree. And what is mixed martial arts mixing if it's not mixing techniques that is drawn from other traditions? Sure, they've evolved them and they've adapted them in certain ways, but the basic concept of every single technique you can probably find in your traditional arts, like Muay Thai like jiu-jitsu like boxing boxing even though people consider it a sport it is a traditional art in a sense it started with bare knuckle boxing and uh, it moved into a sport um, like karate and there are certain MMA athletes that are very successful at taking their traditional art and applying it in an MMA ring to sit and throw the baby out with the bathwater and say therefore all traditional arts are useless is not really accurate because we need to think about the environment and the purpose that traditional arts were created for they were not created for uh, a ring sport. They were created to defend yourself in a real situation in the street. You're not generally going to be fighting against professional athletes. You could be mugged by a hooligan. You could be uh, confronted by a drunkard. They're not all going to be the top-level MMA fighter. They're going to be your average person. And traditional martial arts will, of course, if you practice correctly, prepare you to be able to handle this situation so mixed martial arts is a sport it has its own goals and therefore it has its own training methods to meet those goals I, I would add to this that it's certainly a professional sport because amateur MMA seem to me to be impossible 
Yes, of course. If you want to be fighting at a, at an elite level, you have to train at a professional in a professional manner, uh, like a professional athlete. Uh, and even at that point, if we took a, an amateur MMA fighter and put him in the ring with a professional MMA fighter, I can guarantee you the, the result would be pretty much the same as what uh, happened to Lele. Now, Lele is an interesting situation because this man was uh, misleading people with magic, uh, making false claims, and he was disconnected from reality. In fact, he caused this problem by himself, and I'm glad this happened because there are too many people doing this. And the reason they are able to do this is because there's no consequence for making such claims. This time he had a consequence, and the consequence shaked the world because it was like a wake-up call for, for a lot of people that believe in those... Uh, uh, magical methods and um, but in, in that being said I think that uh, an MMA fighter fighting a hobbyist or a folk martial artist uh, is the same as a street car racing a Formula One car they are not aimed at the same uh, standard or the same thing and there's no way that the normal car would beat a Formula One car in a race uh, let's 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 not fool ourselves about this but that doesn't mean that the car is not a car it is still a car, it has an engine, the wheels turn and it does what it needs to do. Unfortunately, with a lot of traditional martial artists today, they have cut out the reality, they have cut out the, the uh, combat training, they have cut out the understanding of uh, their techniques, and they are like a car that the engine has been taken out of. And this car wants to go race with a Formula One car, and it believes that it can win. This is a type of delusion. So. Uh, an integral part of martial arts in China and in Japan in the past was the code of ethics, Wuda, and even the community had a name, Wulin, Wulin. Wulin Junzhen was someone who had this, those ethics and incorporated them into his daily life, not only during the training. What is the situation in China now, those martial values? I think a lot of the martial values have degraded and disappeared. Um, depending again on which generation you train with. My teacher is an older generation, so we have certain, certain uh, ethics that are handed down. But the modern, the modern uh, practitioner, they are based on money, they are based on uh, the ease of life, and a lot of the ethics are gone. Ethics, in, I mean, at different times meant different things. And even before, if we look at Europe with uh, the duels and chivalry, the code of chivalry, killing an opponent in a duel was perfectly acceptable as long as the duel was done for the right reason, in the right way, and without any uh, foul play involved. It was perfectly honorable to kill somebody in a duel. In today's time, we're not going to have that, of course. But we still... The core of these ethics is still the same. Honor, integrity, honesty, uh, perseverance, you know, these, these are very important aspects of, uh, of, of ethics. I'm, unfortunately, today, these values have been degraded in most societies because, like, the teacher-student relationship has been turned upside down. It's no more a shifu, it's a coach. That's right, and it's a coach who's working for a salary and you are paying that salary. So um, a lot of leeway gets put into what would be acceptable or unacceptable in this relationship in the past, and today it's, it's acceptable, simply because uh, the roles have been changed so drastically. Maybe the last question, what do you think about this, uh, you know, attempts to bring, let's say, wushu or karate to the Olympic stage to make it a part of the Olympic Games? Shouldn't this destroy this martial art and make a simple sport, or it, yet it is beneficial for the art itself? 
I think the one true thing that we can say about the traditional practices is that they are disappearing. And the reason they are disappearing is multifold, but one of the main reasons is because society's uh, circumstances have changed, life has changed, people have changed. Uh, so what do we do to save them? Well, one of the ways to promote any martial art is through sport. Sport is a good way to promote something. But that being said, it's very important that when you create the sport, you don't cut the root off. You don't cut the root off and, uh, for example, draw a snake with legs on it. You should ensure that what sport you're creating, it's a, it's a give and take situation where you keep uh, as much as you can out of the root and the traditional content and methods and develop a sport based on that as much as possible. Of course, it's an ongoing evolutionary process. But the second you cut off that root and you still call it, for example, karate, and it's got no traditional karate techniques in it. I'm just saying as an example, I'm not saying karate is like that. Then why call it karate? It's no longer karate. So Wushu needs to find the best way to develop into a sport, focusing on the certain principles and certain aspects of sport, but, of sport, but using the best traditional methods to do that, to bring forward the tradition. If you've got a bunch of uh, kids interested in sport, wushu through sport and they train and then through this they get more interested in tradition and then they carry on when they've stopped competing they carry on practicing traditional wushu for their entire lives we've done our job by promoting them through sport so for me i think it's it's a uh, important to do it but it's very important to do it right uh when asked about this situation with uh lay lay and uh, the the mma master lilanji in fact he said that uh This is happening because in modern life we don't need any more this gunfu. If we train and we use our skill on the street, we go to jail because it's forbidden by law. You, you, you cannot use it. So does it mean that there is no more use learning martial arts? And according to you, what is the social role of the martial arts today? So I, I like to, I have, I've, I've said this before, but I have a theory about the practice of uh, traditional martial arts, and it's like the, the five fingers on a hand. You've got uh, entertainment. There's an entertainment value. Uh, people do it because they want a hobby, and uh, there's a lot of interesting content to learn, and it keeps you entertained. And of course, if you don't enjoy something, you won't practice it. There's a spiritual value. When I talk about spiritual value, it's both psychological, it's both uh, emotional, things that help you to develop in a better way spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, not religiously. That's not what I mean by spiritual. Uh, of course, there's the, um, there's the uh, health benefit of it, but Again, any sport will give you this health benefit. There's the cultural uh, benefit, which you learn, for example, through Wushu, you learn about Chinese culture, you learn Chinese language, you learn history. So there's these, these important points. But the most important point is combat. The combat application and the correct method of the techniques for use. Now, all the other four that I just said, apart from combat, are byproducts. You do not get them without the correct combat training, yes. So that doesn't mean that uh, you can do anything that looks like a martial movement and then therefore you will have the health and you will have all these uh, other benefits. No, because then you might as well go do some other sport because you will get them too. But they are all based on the correct training of the combat techniques. Um, there's an interesting Chinese word whenever you 
talk to teachers, which I found very interesting because after this whole Lele uh, incident, that a lot of Taiji people and even the Chen people, the Chen village people, came out and said Taiji is not about uh, combat. Actually, it used to be. It's about it's about health now. If if that is the case, why do these so-called masters and these teachers use a word called Gui Fan? Which literally means, oh, this technique is uh, correct. This technique is incorrect. It is a martial art. It is for use. It is for combat. The difference is how people train, and they've they've deviated from the correct path. Now, as Lilian Jia said, in the past it was uh, used for uh, combat, and we can't use it today. No, I disagree because.、Um, Yes, in weaponry, of course, we cannot use those today. And yes, you will go to jail if you pull out a broadsword and hack somebody with it in the street. But this is why trenchu or hand routines and hand practices started to develop in the Mingqing transition in China because they actually had this situation where people were retired soldiers went back to civilian life. They had these skills with weapons, but couldn't apply such skills in in daily life. They couldn't walk down the street. With a spear, and then they get attacked by a hooligan.、Um, so using hand methods was a more modernization of an ancient skill to fit into society. And I don't know if Lilian Jez lived anywhere dangerous, but I've lived in South Africa, and I can tell you, martial arts methods. Will help you if you know how to do them correctly in a dangerous environment. It's not to say that oh, in today's society they are useless. It depends on your environment too. So yes, I think、uh, if we are going to just say I just want to learn how to apply and defend myself, well then you can cut off a lot of things that we practice in traditional wushu. But like I said, traditional wushu is not just about the application in this society. The tradition part of it is that we're handing something down. If we cut off all the weaponry. Because we cannot use them in today's、uh, day and age, it would be more applicable. We would be practicing only hand techniques. Maybe you would have a better chance with an MMA person because that that is in fact what MMA would be then. Cut off the traditional things that are not applicable to the the format of cage fighting and practice those only for effectiveness. Well, you could do that with wushu too, but it would no no longer carry forward what we've what we've、uh, carried forward for all these generations. It would no longer be traditional. Hit the point here. So it depends not on the art; it depends on the person of your personal application, your personal gunfu, the amount of time spent, and your personal approach. So the the good point is that、uh, wushu is not dead; it can still be used. It's not a useless thing, but you should really watch out what goals you want to hit while practicing. And Byron Jacobs was with us, the competition and event manager of the International Wushu Federation, and a student of the famous Sinyi and Bagua Master Diego Yun. Thank you.